That's true. I'm his mom. I'm also your host for the Auto Parent Podcast. My name is Reverend Casey Vanatta Casebeer. I am an associate pastor and director of family ministries at Foundry United Methodist Church in Washington, D.C., and I'm a mom. Y'all, whatever we need this podcast to be, whether it's a space for solidarity or hope, to receive permission to tell guilt and shame to kick rocks, whatever we need for this parenting journey, I pray we find it here together. So come on, let's pray toward it and let's do it. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Auto Parent Podcast, episode nine, which we're calling just a couple of family ministers hanging out. How about that? I am your host, Pastor KC. Don't say your name. Don't say your name. (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to say my name. And y'all know me, so let's get to our special guest for this episode. Before we get into introducing you, I want to do this fun thing where we try to pronounce each other's last names. Is that okay? Yes, and I I feel like I already need to do your first name. I've already gotten it wrong. You just said KC. Yeah. KC, not Casey. Right. KC, like the Sunshine Band, which is like a really old reference that nobody ever gets when I say it. (laughs) But. Yeah, so there's like posits, KC. And it's this whole thing where like my parents named me Kelly Christian and then never intended to call me that. So it's great. I'm working through it with my therapist. It's fine. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so we're going to try to pronounce each other's last names. Uh, Do you want to go first? KC at a case buyer. Very close. Case B, Van at a case. (laughs) KC Van at a case buyer. Oh my gosh, so close. So close. What is it? It's Van Atta, that's correct, and it's Case Beer. <gasps> Case Beer. Of yeah. course, of course. And I didn't choose either of those names. <laughs> Inflicted. Um, but wow, I'm like super impressed. That was amazing. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to go for it. Are you ready? Okay. Is it Amanda Meisenheimer? Yes, ma'am. Ah, okay. That's amazing. I feel great about that. Uh, So yeah, our special guest is Amanda Meisenheimer, and she is the Minister of Children and Families at the Riverside Church in New York City, and she is a mom. Amanda specializes in intergenerational and therapeutic approaches to ministry, theology, and curriculum. Uh, She's written curriculum, music, and worship resources for illustrated ministry. Spark House, fun fact, Foundry uses both of those. United Methodist Women, NUMA, and Mars Hill Bible Church in Michigan. She and her two children make their home in Manhattan. And I just want to say to you that this is such a deep honor to have you on the podcast. I am such an admirer of your work from afar, and I feel such gratitude for your presence with us today. So welcome. It's so good to see you. I'm thrilled to be here. And I say see you because we actually get to see each other right now, which is pretty cool. Okay, so we're just going to get right into it and ask our special guest questions, which we do every time we have a guest on the podcast. So the first one is, what is your biggest pet peeve? Off the top of my head right now, I will say 
anyone who expects children to behave in a way that's not developmentally appropriate, which mm-hmm. would be believing that children can sit still for a long time, believing that they should be able to read sheet music to sing or, uh, or understand eighth grade language coming from a pulpit 50 feet away. Yeah. Those are good. Those are good. Yeah. Those are some of my, my pet peeves as well, especially expecting kids to act in ways that are, yeah beyond their years. I just will never understand it. And I feel so much solidarity too when I'm in the grocery store or whatever, whatever and I see other parents who are dealing with, you know, toddler age and whatever, like, oh, just I am with you is what I'm channeling Yes, <laughs> to, to the other person. Okay, so tell us about perhaps the hardest time you've ever laughed. Well, my, my son has these really gorgeous, amazing big cheeks. And uh, when he was three or four, he used to like to blow raspberries on my stomach. Um, Other people call them Zerberts. <laughs> but he would, yeah. I, I would just lie on my back and he would, he, he got such resonance and such amazing sound <laughs> out of my belly and his huge cheeks that we, we would just roll around laughing. Um, and then he taught his sister when she came home. So uh, that <laughs> we have um, lots of, lots of uh, blubber going around. To, to play with. So it's good. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. I remember both of my kids doing that as well. So, so, so funny. We could just sit around for hours and, and laugh about that. Okay. Well now it's time for a segment called parenting fails, confessions, and wins. We'll start with fails because we like to get those out of the way. And so I'm going to share with you a parenting fail that happened only yesterday. Ooh. So it's fresh on the brain. Uh, so yesterday we decided to take a little road trip up to Philadelphia. We do this probably two, three times a month uh, on the weekends. We're big Philadelphia Eagles fans. And so sometimes we'll just go and play pickup football in the parking lot of Lincoln Financial Field and we eat cheesesteaks and we have a, an amazing time. So this yesterday, um, this weekend, I decided that it might be fun to try to do something a little bit different. So I scoped out Legoland And I have two boys. They're obsessed with Legos. I thought, oh my goodness, like this will be super fun. I went to their FAQ section. They were talking about all the COVID precautions they were taking, time to entry, and only a certain amount of people being in there, and then clearing everybody out and sanitizing the place down. I was like, okay, great. Let's try this out. And I am not kidding you. (laughs) We were in there for maybe 15 minutes. There were 100 plus people inside here. It felt sweaty. There was no no enforced social distancing. I had to look for sanitizing stations. Mm. It was awful. And so I took my kids into this Legoland place and their eyes lit up. They were so excited. They were like, oh my goodness, there's people and fun and all the things that we've been missing for a year. And then 15 minutes later, I had to drag them back out. I, I wish I had like done a little bit more research or, you know, called ahead to make sure that they were enforcing their COVID protocols. And I feel a little bit bad because my anxiety just kind of spilled over on the manager who was working at the time. And I, I wasn't rude or anything, but I was just like, here are some things really made this not a great experience. Um, so yeah, that's my parenting fail. And perhaps, you know, when all of this is over, we'll try again, but no more Lego land for the Van Beers. <laughs> well, I, you know, I live in Manhattan and it's a, mm-hmm. we live in, in a big city and my kids are very, 
they are New Yorkers and they know how, <laughs> how life here works uh, often better than I do. But I try to teach them to stand up for themselves. And, and I think that's a big value we have, especially I, I'm an, I'm an ex-evangelical, so uh, it's really important <laughs> to me to give them voice so that they, they can um, stand up for themselves if they need to. And I was walking down, down the street with them when they were eight and 11 with our new puppy. And we were having this lovely family walk. And then one of our unhomed neighbors, our, uh, one of the homeless people that live in, in our neighborhood, came up and, and interacted with our puppy, which we, had happened dozens of times. Um, that was mm-hmm. not a problem. But he started getting aggressive and, and uh, in a way that was, felt scary and possibly dangerous for our dog. And I let it go on just a bit too long. Mm-hmm. And the, the lights changed on the street. We crossed the street, and my, my children turned to me, and they were so angry. <clears throat> why did you let him get that close to our dog? Why, did mm. you, why didn't you make him stop? And I felt like I had lost an opportunity to show them the, the very value that I wanted to teach them. Um, and and I ha- I'd, I'd, I'd given them this idea that mom, mom isn't going to stand up for you. Um, and every little interaction, interaction like that is a chance for us to, um, to show our children, not just how to behave, but how much we love them. And so I, I said, I, I won't let, I won't do that again. I shouldn't have chosen people pleasing over protecting our family. So I won't do it again next time. Wow. That is such a powerful word thinking about people pleasing and, and family. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of unhoused neighbors that sleep on our property at Foundry and there are plenty of times that our kids have engaged with them. And yeah, so everything you're saying really resonates and hits home with me as well. Now we're going to transition into parenting confessions. Mm. (laughs) Sometimes these are just secrets we keep or things we hide or (laughs) so my parenting confession from this week is pretty simple and it's something that I've even encouraged our parents and listeners to do if they need it I just took a minute in the closet alone doors closed lights off chaos out beyond the (laughs) the door both kids the dog everything, just doing whatever it needed to do for a minute. And I turned on a meditation and I just, I was like, you know what? There is nothing they can destroy on the other side of this door in one minute that can't be fixed. So (laughs) I don't feel bad about it, but it's definitely a confession that I was just like, I've got to, I've got to just some time. I need to reclaim one minute of my time. (laughs) I wonder if you have any other, any confessions or any, any moments like that that you'd like to share with us. Countless. Countless, but I want to tell your listeners uh, and you that often people with small children are told things like, "Oh, just wait till they're teenagers," and you're given this this ominous uh, forecasting of the future as if right now what you're dealing with isn't hard; it gets harder. But I am here to tell you that life with teenagers is amazing. <laughs> they get their they get their own food, Ugh. you know. They can run errands. They they they're just cool. I I think that that closet time for me doesn't even have to be in the closet anymore. You don't have to hide from them because they're not, you know, knocking down your doors. But uh, I do, I do have confessions and, and I've had to give myself grace because during the pandemic, we've all been in 450 square feet, my 11 year old, my almost 15 year old and myself, and we're driving each other crazy, but I have cut corners. I have, 
I, we eat out all the time, and I, we order it in. We co- call it in. My children are on screens most of the day, and and that's just life. I feel. Mm-hmm. Do I feel bad about it? Of course. The society has engineered me to to beat myself up over the the corners I'm cutting. But um, I tell you, we are in some ways living our best life. We're just three college frat people um, living in this tiny apartment, um, eating pizza and playing video games. So. That's my confession. I love that. I, especially the screen time thing. I know there are a lot of parents that can relate for sure. And you're worried about giving ourselves grace. Like that means so much. And, and thinking about how many times I've heard just wait till they're teenagers is always hilarious to me. Cause I've also been a youth pastor for a really yeah. long time. So I'm yes. like, trust me, I get it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> trust me, right. I'm, I'm good. And actually most of the time it's like parents of my youth. I'm like, no, I, I actually like am with your kids. I know what it's like. So. Yes, yes. My fourteen-year-old just uh, recently learned how to make steak, and the child has been ordering and cooking steak uh, day after day during the pandemic. That's and I, I'm like, where did you cook? I don't like to cook, but he's just I, great. You be you, dude. Yeah, that is yeah. brilliant. Brilliant. I love, I mean, yeah, all the things that you're saying, I don't wish my kids to be older. I don't, I don't wish it away, but also like, it's just a gift every single day to be with them. And every phase is such a gift. You know, I'm not one of those people that like longs for the newborn stage. I'm like, they do this awesome thing called getting older. (laughs) It's pretty neat. Absolutely. To be a part of. So yeah. And this, okay, so now we're going to transition into my favorite part, which is parenting wins. I love it so much. We always say on the podcast, like, no matter how you get them, if they're consecutive or you, if you get one in the midst of a dark season, however we get them, we'll take them. And so my parenting win for this week is pretty simple. My three-year-old gets up pretty early in the morning. He does not need as much sleep as my six-year-old. My six-year-old could sleep forever. When he was little, he would sleep in 12-hour chunks and still take three hours worth of naps during the day. And he still is that way. He just sleeps and sleeps and sleeps. My three-year-old does not need as much sleep, which sometimes is a, you know, a little bit of a, oh. But anyway, he's been getting up at 6 a.m., Our house, usually like the engine of our house doesn't really start running until about seven. So (laughs) for a little while, he was just kind of left to his own devices, which was scary. But recently he started coming into our room and crawling into bed with me and asking to watch Moana. And so we've been having like 6 a.m. Moana sessions every morning. Like, so for the past four mornings, we've been watching Moana and he knows all the words to all the songs. So he'll just stand up and sing and dance. And um, it makes those early mornings just a little bit easier. And I think to myself, there are times in my life where I would have been like, oh, no, go to bed, (laughs) go to bed, get out of my room, get out of my bed, go away. But saying yes to those moments have been so special because it gives me uninterrupted time with him because most of the time it's the two of them vying for attention all the time. And we have a real needy dog. So (laughs) the dog, (laughs) the kids. So yeah, it's been, it's been such a, a gift of what it's like to say yes. Yes. So I wonder if you have any parenting wins that you like to share. Well, my 15-year-old recently saved a lot of money over time to buy himself a PC because uh, I don't know if you know this, but the kids think that PCs are better at gaming than PS4s or Xboxes. 
they have it in their heads that that's a better device. I don't, I'm not a believer, but sure. Okay. (laughs) It was a chance for me to give him the opportunity to set a goal and save the money. So he did. And, um, he cleaned our house just week after week after week to, to make this money. So we bought the PC and it, he, uh, he doesn't know anything about PCs, nothing, (laughs) absolutely nothing. He's going on YouTube trying to learn like how to turn it on. And he ran into some issues and he, I, he asked me to help, but also told me, I don't know anything about it. You know, of course, mom, you don't know what you're doing. Just call up, (laughs) just call the, just call the place, take it in. Now, Taking a computer into Best Buy in New York City is a massive ordeal. You have to get a taxi. It is, it, it's, it's way too big of a deal. So I said, I can do this. I can look this up. Your, your mom can read and apply information. I may not know a lot about computers, but I can, I can look this up and fix this. And, you know, time after time I did. Time after time. And it took him a while to trust mom. Like, you don't know what you're doing. That's my impression of my son. You know what you're doing, mom. And and I say, dude, bro, yes, I do. And I fixed it. I I yes. fixed it every time. Now, someday I know I'm going to find myself in the lobby of a Best Buy with a giant PC because I, I will meet my match. But for now, I've correctly installed the the uh, the, the safe pro- the safer protocols on the computer so we can only access things that I can see. And I've I've been able to to solve his problems that he's run into. So I'm, I am the least tech savvy person, but I've proven myself to be the IT around here. (laughs) That is amazing. That is amazing. I often say this, and part of this is just like my neuroses, but I often say that like, you could give me the plans and the resources to build a spaceship and I could do it because I'm a mom, right? (laughs) Like, just don't tell me I can't do something (laughs) for sure. I love that so much. Awesome. Well, I would like to remind all of our listeners that if you have parenting fails, confessions, or wins that you would like to submit to the podcast, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at AutoParent. And now it's time to do a little something different. Well, now we are in our Get Real segment where we look at the lectionary text each week and we get real. Our lectionary text for this week comes from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, and here it is in the New Revised Standard Version. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So we're going to do some initial reactions to this uh, text. And Amanda, I'll invite you to go first. Just any initial thoughts that you had as I was reading. 
this is one of my favorite stories to teach at church because it is so dramatic. It shows emotion, um, and it shows a different Jesus than we often portray. Uh, I also my first my first thought was remembering how it. it this story appears in other books of the Bible at, towards the end of Jesus's life, as if it is the it is the catalyst for uh, the anger and the rage at him that eventually takes him to the cross. But John puts it at the beginning, which also is a very cool place to put it, uh, because it's it's it, it's the front bookend where this is Jesus announcing himself. This is who I am. This is who I came to be. So um, I love I love this version of it. Yeah, me too. I was thinking the very same thing about the placement in the synoptics versus John's placement and thinking about how this sort of pronouncement of Jesus as logos, the word, and then furthering the identity here of Jesus being a really interesting placement. As you say, I love hashtag angry Jesus. Like it's my favorite (laughs) thing and I'm totally here for it. I've probably preached this text, I don't know, a million times because I am to- I'm all all the time I am here for this Jesus, and um, you know sometimes I think we as a tool of convenience like to think about the ways in which we might picture ourselves as Jesus as opposed to perhaps picturing ourselves as the money changers or as the merchants in the marketplace, and so just just thinking about that particular potential for transitioning where we see ourselves in the text, um, what our entry point is. As I was reading it, I was remembering, too, that our our typical posture with this text is to say, well, we shouldn't have money changers in the temple, and like the temple is a holy and sacred place. And just remembering some of the teaching that I've had in this particular story and thinking about how that this was not like out of the ordinary. Uh, and so to see what Jesus, it's not like they just kind of started this new enterprise, right? <laughs> there was mm-hmm. this thing about the temple that was already ongoing and Jesus kind of coming in, it's more so turning it on its head in that way. So anyway, those are just some initial reactions. I wonder about this next question that we always go to, which is what other thoughts do you have about the the primary function of this particular text? Well, if John is a book that pits Jesus against the empire, then this is an opportunity to see that in direct opposition. So uh, this is this is Jesus against economy. This is Jesus against exploitation, uh, and it's Jesus in chaos. We often mm. teach people, whether we are trying to or not, that chaos is is evil or that that order is sacred. But Jesus brings some holy chaos here. Imagine these coins just tumbling all over the place and the animals loose and and birds pooping on everything this this is utter chaos so so in a, in a time where we're seeing chaos being used as a tool against oppression here in the United States so, mm-hmm. you know we see protest we see disruption it really is a mirror of what Jesus did who when he when he left a place it was not the same as when he showed up Yeah, everything that you're saying, particularly about chaos, is something that I hadn't thought about. And so that's that's a a whole word, as we say occasionally. I think I read it somewhere, Jesus was wreaking holy havoc, which which I like that. I like that particular phrase. But thinking about the primary function of the text, I do love this idea of seeing Jesus in this sort of new way. I like the sort of continued unveiling of Jesus's identity. 
I also like the play on words that Jesus is using with the temple and them thinking the literal temple and him sort of this pronouncement of who he is being this interesting play on words of, no, I'm the temple. (laughs) It's a huge theological turning point and Christological statement here that he's making. And I think it's probably one of the reasons that it's included and it's included so early on. Casey, you mentioned earlier seeing yourself uh, in different places in the text. And I'm wondering if you're thinking about seeing yourself, like if if we're the money changers sometimes, are you saying that as we as Americans, we as white folks, we, which, how do you identify as a money changer in this, in this pericope? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. I think perhaps Privilege is definitely part of that. So thinking about ourselves as Americans in that regard, privileged on a global stage. Also thinking about white folk in particular and the privilege of the color of our skin. I think, too, about the ways that the church has consumerized the gospel, the ways in which being part of the American gospel, I, you know, lived formerly in the Bible Belt. And so if it wasn't on a particular radio station or if it wasn't produced by a, a particular Christian network, it was considered to be, you know, not of God. Um, so sort of the the streamlining of really, I mean, really what it is, right, is it, it's, it's, it's Christendom and um, and it's imperial in many ways, but thinking about capitalist Christianity and the way that we've sort of, yeah, We've, we've created an industry, yes. we being consumerist Christianity. Yeah, I could see Jesus doing this in a local Christian bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was yeah. actually thinking, too, about a bookstore that's in a church. <laughs> you know and we I mean? have one. We have one at Riverside. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great question. Okay, so I want to talk about how we feel like this text might be relating to the world around us. And we've alluded to this in some ways, but to think deeply about the things that are going on currently and how this text might relate to that. This is about the disruption of the system. And, uh, you know, we've, I think one of the, the macro ways we see this is the way that the stock market continues to climb and reach new peaks at the same time people are suffering in mass in the United States and around the world that that the money changers are continuing to profit off of people's suffering so of course i would love to see that disrupted but i'm only me so how does what does this look like around my life and in my world this is making the small choices that can can disrupt the way we do things that's not always easy as a mom. Like I said, we've been cutting corners. It's very difficult to to choose the the fair trade organic things to to turn my back on consumerism when we're all in survival mode. So I, it's this is this is a hard this is a hard story. I was thinking the very same thing about how I've been making some of those easy choices as well. Even down to sometimes in our house we use paper products because. It is the amount of dishes that we do in a house of four people, like it's just insane. And so I've been looking into ways to be more sustainable, particularly around like paper towels and things like that. We've eliminated straw use mostly. But anyway, yeah, all of the things that you're saying about it being small choices is a helpful reminder and also coupled with what it's like to manage just survival in the midst of this completely unprecedented experience that none of us expected. So I 
want to say number one, here on the podcast, we are often telling guilt and shame to kick rocks. So that's number one. What I want to say is like that guilt and shame that is creeping in, um, kick rocks. That's what we're saying right now. (laughs) And also, you know, to think deeply about just what the the next right thing is, right? Like what is Mm -hmm. the next right choice that we can make and can make, right? Like (laughs) feel encouragement and support to be able to make that choice because often sometimes we're forced into choices that aren't buttressed with any kind of support. And so once we make that choice, then we feel out on an island by ourselves, perhaps like in a, you know, surrounded by an ocean of self-critique and it just is altogether unhelpful. We wound up sunburnt and thirsty and all alone. Yes. Um, so on that note, on that on that note, um, there's a third character in this that we haven't mentioned, and that's the people who were doing the buying and how they were right. uh, taken advantage of and had to, you know, the poorer people could only buy birds or small animals, sparrows, and the richer people could buy goats for for sacrifice. So, so many times, mothers, children, people of color, there's all the marginalized folks we always list. We're we're the ones that need the rescuing. We need the world turned upside down for us. Now, sometimes we find ourselves on the other side of that, but when we are trying to give ourselves grace, we need to remember that that Jesus was fighting on our behalf too. Yeah, that's right. A helpful word to to introduce that third person because yeah, that's the one that's often overlooked, right? Is there are people that are part of this system and are systematically oppressed. And so I just, I can't, say enough how often I have read or preached or heard this text preached and the entry point is we just need to be Jesus and to go in and to, you know, overturn these tables. And I think it's just helpful to think about all the entry points of the text. Specifically, what how, what are we feeling like this text means for parents and families and what's the most helpful way to to perhaps integrate the themes of this text into, into our daily lives? Mama bears go through uh, life flipping tables on behalf of our kids when it comes to uh, seeking out proper accommodations for our children with disabilities, when it comes mm. to trying to make sure that our ch- children are not are, are treated appropriately in, in all of their extracurricular activities. You know, we, we are constantly making room and making space for the safety of our children. And Sometimes that can be exhausting. And like my story with the puppy, sometimes we, we just lose energy and, 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 it's difficult to be that advocate, but that holy rage is is our asset. That's that's our that's where we find the energy mm. to make that create that space around our children and fight for them. Now, all of us have also seen the the parent who tries to put their child on a pedestal and and give their child privilege above all. And so, at that point, we need to become. If we find ourselves creating little divas, then we need to become. Um, we need to take a different tact, but. It's never going to it's never going to hurt a child for them to know their parent will fight for them. Yeah, that's that's something that I think is so 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 important. And you're right, the mama bear thing is real. There there are so many times that we find ourselves in spaces where we're willing to to holy rage for the sake of our kids. And I think that is 
a calling. I think it's part of who we're created to be. I think it's kingdom work is what I think. The ways in which we instill within them a desire to show up and fight for oppressed folks, for those who who are marginalized or have an existence that is perhaps on the wrong end of the empire. The more that we can instill in our kids that desire and that calling, I think the better we'll be. We talked a couple weeks ago about breaking the generational cycle of trauma and thinking about the ways in which we're raising kind, justice-seeking young people and how sometimes that's the most important thing. I think those are all ways that parents and families can be impacted by this particular text. Yes. Justice for others and justice for themselves. Ooh, yeah. I love that. Hashtag. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now we'll say a prayer together and then we'll move into our final segment called the parent mantra. Let's pray. Spirit for your word of hope and of solidarity and challenge today, we are grateful. Instill in us a reminder that we are beloved and that our choices do not define us. Help us to remember that we can, though, do the next right thing, and that we have your support and your encouragement and are surrounded by your love and bathing in an ocean of your grace, that we are not abandoned out to sea without an oar or a boat. God, remind us, too, that even though we have a boat, that we're not all in the same one. God, that we might all be in this same storm together, but that we show up with different tools and different resources and help us to lend a hand to those who need it, to continue to show up for the oppressed and marginalized, for those on the wrong side of the empire. Give us holy rage. God, help us to resist consumerism in the church in ways that feel helpful and resist that consumerism in the church as it is a hindrance to the kingdom being ushered here on earth as it is in heaven. Go with us as we go all the places that we're going. Hold us close in your embrace Remind us that we are yours. And for all the things that we forgot, we pray for that too. In the name of the triune God, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Every week we'll have a parent mantra, something that you can say to yourself or to your partner so that you can be reminded you're not alone. The Auto Parent Podcast family and the Foundry Family Ministries are with you on this journey Your mantra for this week is, I can find purpose even in chaos. I can find purpose even in chaos. Because friends, if you don't believe that, it's going to be really hard to convince your kids. I've been your host, Pastor KC. You can follow me on Twitter at RevKCVC. And remember to be gentle with yourselves. You don't have to be an auto parent to be a good one.
Join us next week, same time, same place. You can find out more information about Foundry United Methodist Church by visiting our website, www.foundryumc.org. If you're specifically looking for information about our family ministries department or our offerings for parents, you can find those at www.foundryumc.org slash family ministries. Thank you.